Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. I'm Becca Freeman. And today we have the one of like, like the fact that we had her on our podcast is so surreal to me. Um, we have an amazing guest. We're going to get to that, but we're so excited um, to tell you who she is in a minute. You always do this, but people know because it's in the episode. Oh my titles. God, you're right. So our guest, <laughs> I'm such an asshole. Our guest you're is not- Linda Wells. She's the founding editor of Allure and the founder of Flesh Beauty. And we like, she was in my apartment recording and I'm still like on a high from it. It's crazy. She was incredible. <laughs> I just love it. You're you so right. I always that, like, like try and be coy. Secret. Like it's a secret. It's in the title. <laughs> One, a year into podcasting, and I still am not getting it. But Linda Wells is amazing. She is one of the OGest beauty editors who was at Allure for 25 years, and she now has her own brand, and she just has such an interesting career and story. I was thinking about it. I don't think I would be here right now in like doing this if it weren't for her. Like I wouldn't have wanted to blog if it weren't for her and Allure. Yeah, she's amazing. She's incredible. Before we get into that, we're going to do some highs and lows. But before that, today's episode is sponsored by our favorite pillow, Night Pillow. So if you are ready to finally jump on the bandwagon, you can take 20% off at discovernight.com with the code BOP20. We're going to tell you more about it later in the episode, but make sure to use that discount. Yeah. So let's do highs and lows. Yeah. So, Becca, what's your high this week? So, my high is that we had our first neighbor dinner on Saturday. Yeah. So, I moved into the apartment. Grace is on the first floor. Friend Alex is on the second floor. Strangers are on the third floor. And I'm on the fourth floor. And we have our little sorority house situation. And on Saturday night, I had been running errands all day and, you know, kind of just like came home, didn't have any plans Saturday night. And I was making dinner and I texted Grace and Alex and I was like, hey, anyone hungry? I'm making dinner if you want to come up. And they both came up and it was just such a nice, casual thing to have friends in my building who can casually come up in their sweatpants and also who can leave that I don't have to be like, cool, now you're here. We're doing a whole thing. Yeah, you didn't trek like half an hour into Brooklyn to come see you and then only stay for an hour and a half. No, you trekked up two flights of stairs Mm -hmm. and then when I wanted to read you can just go home it was so lovely so lovely and I got free free food I'll always come up for dinner great yeah I am a pretty lazy cook about cooking for myself because I don't want to put in the effort but I love cooking for other people yeah me too so you have an open invite great what about you what was your high my high was yesterday so the day after the neighbor dinner um, I had a bunch of friends over for tacos and tequila. So I love entertaining and having parties. And one of my goals is to just have a casual party every month, like May, June, July, August. Um, it's really fun. Just make fun cocktails or I did not cook. I ordered a ton of Mexican food because I really don't like being stressed the day of a party, like trying to cook for all those people. Yeah. I always get things catered. Um, no, it was really fun. I made I made so many new friends. It, it was, was really fun. Yeah. I feel like we've made so many new friends, whether it be it's through the podcast or people I meet through my blog. And so I feel like a great way to keep that going is to have a party and in- introduce them all. And then everyone becomes friends. And the group is just like this giant new web of friends. Girl gang, girl gang, girl <laughs> gang. Yeah. What um, about Lowe's? 
Um, my who is this weather? It's so freaking cold and rainy. It's been disgusting for days. I'm really bummed because it's been raining more often than not since I moved. And I really want to explore the new neighborhood and like generally I'm like, cool, I have some spare time. And I'm like, it's raining, so I'm gonna stay inside. Yeah, yeah. It um it's just gross. I'm I'm sad. Yeah, it's not great. Mine is also weather related, which is good. I, I don't really have anything to complain about when your low is about the weather. But um, I had to turn on the heat in my apartment this morning. I'm wearing a turtleneck right now. It is so cold. It is May. I am irate. Yeah, it's awful. I, I also turned my heat back on today and I was like, what the hell? I know. I yeah. Know. So before we get to Linda, though, I think it's time. I don't know. This weather is making me feel kind of desperate. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for a minute of it. Yeah. So guys, if you haven't left us a review in iTunes, what are you even doing here? Stop this podcast, leave us a review and come back. Yeah. You can actually keep listening and go in and just scroll down. Leave us five stars if you're feeling creative. Write something. Leaving us a review is honestly the best way that you can show us that you like the podcast and appreciate it. It helps us with the iTunes store rankings. It helps people discover us. It helps us get great guests because that's the first thing. If if anyone asks me to be on a podcast, the first thing I do is go and look that podcast up and see, you know, what their reviews are like. Yeah. So if we, the more reviews we get, the better guests we can get. And we've been getting so many comments on the amazing caliber of guests we're getting. And that's because of all the people that are leaving us reviews. So do your part. Leave us a review. If you've already done that, share us on your Instagram story or tell a friend Drag a friend to our live shows. We have five live shows coming up in Chicago, D.C., Boston, Nashville, and and Charleston. Charleston. Yeah. So do that. And if you've done all those things, join our Facebook group. Come talk books with us. Um, We get so many DMs about books and things, and that's really fun. But it's just so much better to have, like, a bigger conversation in the Facebook group. Today, someone was talking about where the crawdads sing and how they didn't like it. And I thought about our brunch, how you and Alex were both so mad on it. So it's a fun little place. There's always, like, I'm always getting new recommendations from it. And also, it's just, like, a great way to talk about the books in, in a way that isn't just me and Becca or me and one of you on DM. So it's really nice. Do that. Now to Linda. So for today's guest, we have Linda Wells, who, if you grew up reading as many magazines as Grace and I did, probably needs no introduction. She was the founding editor of Allure Magazine, and she is now the founder of Flesh Beauty, which is a new favorite beauty brand of ours. So Allure is the gold standard of beauty magazines. And during her 25 years at the magazine, she shaped it into a truly iconic publication. And that included launching the Best of Beauty Awards, which I still look for the seal on, Same, always. on Sephora or on products. I'm like, oh, this is a good one. I know yeah. to trust this. Uh, last July, Linda launched Flesh Beauty, which is one of our new beauty obsessions. And we're going to be talking a lot more about the line and the products that we we all love. Um but we, we really love the inclusivity in the line, and we love that it's all about getting gorgeous, dewy skin, which is always my beauty goal. Um, and I also want to note that when we did our call for questions, we got so many thank yous. So many thank yous. People didn't have questions. They were just like, thank you for bringing allure and you know helping to shape my childhood and you know my career goals and everything like that so we're so humbled to have you here today yeah we're just so happy to have you here like I grew up reading Allure like I read it all through college like even now like it's just it's 
it's one of the best magazines out there. Oh, thank you. I loved it. I loved doing it. I loved reading it. I loved being part of it. I feel like that was the happiest, luckiest moment. Yeah. Really, really cool. So before we get into the questions that were submitted for you, can you walk us through your career and, you know, from college until now, how did you get where you are? How did you, how did Allure come to be? How did Flesh come to be? So I went to college in Connecticut at Trinity College, and I majored in English literature, which does not set you up for your career goal necessarily. But I was like so happy. All I wanted to do was read. I did a lot of art, too. And I wanted to write papers. And I thought I would be happy doing that for the rest of my life. And then my parents suggested perhaps that would not be a way to spend your entire life. (laughs) (laughs) So I went and interviewed um, at a lot of places, ad agencies, and and got through some random connection, like 18 times removed, got an interview with a publisher of Harper's Bazaar. So I thought, this is the best thing that could ever happen to me. I'm set. And I sat down in this man's office, and he spent 45 minutes telling me why I was a terrible candidate for any job in any magazine, and I better just give up now. Oh, and my was, God. Oh, my five minutes is a really long time to be told that. And how his son was so talented, and his other son was a genius, and he had the right connections, and I didn't, and blah, blah. So it was terrible. And I thought, you're going to make me cry in this office, and I'm not doing that. So I waited until I got to the street, and then I cried. And then three days later, I was hired at Condé Nast. So um, that was not, I mean, the good news is, is I was not, that was not, he wasn't right. And That's he could good. not destroy me. But so, at such a young age, to have that told to you. Like it's you know, your you're first really, time out of the oh, gate. Yeah. So <laughs> fragile. Like, why would anybody care? What does that, what threat am I yeah, to just, anyone? Like, polite pass, get them out of your office. Yeah. Move yeah. On. Does he have something better to do than make a 21 year old feel really terrible about herself? I, I didn't know. need his help. So, um, so I got a job and, um, at Condé Nast, I worked at Vogue as an assistant in the beauty department and it wasn't, an area that I was particularly interested in, but it was an opening and I was so happy to have it. And then as I spent time there, I thought, this is fascinating. I really love it. I wasn't like a makeup person, but I was always a skincare person. And, um, and then I really got interested in the relationship between beauty and, um, your image and your emotions and your attitude about yourself and, all those psychological things that always fascinate me. So I worked at Vogue for five years and kind of, I worked all the time, double overtime, you know, <laughs> just trying to survive, but also because I really loved it. And um, and then I got a job at the New York Times and I was a reporter on the paper. And then I went to the magazine and was um, the beauty editor of the magazine. And while I was there, the food editor quit and I volunteered to do that. So I had Two jobs. Oh my and God. That was amazing. And so I ha- wrote about beauty every other week in the New York Times magazine. And what was great, it was, it was when the magazine, it was the traditional magazine. So it was not the style magazine. And it was surrounded by articles about very serious things written by very serious people. So I felt, um, that I needed to make sure that I was living up to that, that level. And so I really was heavy in reporting and used, the like would look at trends and the sort of the psychological and uh, behavioral aspects of beauty and the sociological aspects of beauty and thinking about the business of it. And so I, I wanted it to be a, uh, a little bit bigger than just like, here are the best new mascaras. So um, not that there's anything wrong with that, because we love that. But um, so I did that. And then I also got to go to cooking school at night, and on the weekends for my food editor job and got to go to restaurants all the time and had the best expense account ever. That's the dream. It was like beauty products so and much food, fun. like you don't need anything else. Like, and bizarrely, they're so related. Yeah, I feel like trends come from food and go into beauty. And so maybe that's just because of 
way I see the world, but ingredients. I do think, yeah, yeah. ingredients are like, like turmeric. And or you think about the fact that you know food had the was the first to think about organics and naturals, like many many years ago, and it's moved into beauty, but it first was in food. Or the artisanal movement in food ended up kind of spreading into beauty and fragrance, and then in like indie brands. And so I think mm. that there's a lot that you can look at and see connections between the two. So anyway. So I did that. And then while I was at the New York Times, um, Cy Newhouse, the um, owner of Condé Nast, asked me to start Allure. But it wasn't, he just said, we'd like you to start a beauty magazine. And that was it. So it didn't have a name. So I was the first employee. And then- um, So you named it even. Well, I didn't come up with a name. We came, we had a lot of really bad names, but the can editorial you t- can director- Can you tell us some of the bad names? Um. Uh, what were some of them? I feel like like beauty now. That was boring. Um, uh, I can't think of some of the other ones. Isn't that funny? Uh, they were just so mundane. Yeah. And I wanted to be sure that the, the word beauty was not in the name of the magazine because I didn't want it to feel like, oh, this is for pretty people. You know, it's like, yeah. that's the old fashioned way of thinking about beauty. And I wanted it to be inclusive and, you know, anybody can pick up this magazine and feel like it has something to say to them and they're, you know, it makes them feel better about the way they look and, you know, and, and caring about this. So that's so forward thinking for 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And we know it was, and it was, um, it, it was, it was something that I felt that one of the reasons I was interested in beauty was that so many people feel like they don't, they're not pretty enough. And that, that, you know, Beauty is something that women have have had as a burden um, because if you're, it was often the only way women could succeed in their lives was through beauty many centuries ago. And, you know, you think about the novels of Jane Austen or whatever it happens to be. I'm reading Middlemarch right now um, on page 80. But um, <laughs> it's torture. No, it's great. But anyway, it's always like beauty was the way that people could have, you know, money and success and things. And so, it was this very complicated topic and I wanted it to be open to people. And so, um, so I, so he, the editorial director came up with the name Allure and he was, um, he was a Russian, but he was spent most of his time in France. So it has a different meaning in in French and it's sort of, what I love about it is it it's a quality. It's Mm -hmm. not a, it's not literal. It's not, you are, you look like this. It's just this, air about it and anyone can have a lure. So, um, so yeah, so I started that. It was 1990 when I started working there in 1991 when we launched. Then we just launched in March and we were a monthly. So it was no like ramp up. It was just go. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was great. That's amazing. And in the July issue, we had seven pages of ads. That's all, which is wow. no pages of ads because. <laughs> It was so, people were so outraged. It was a March issue was first and the cosmetics industry expected something different and they expected it to be really pretty and really sweet. And um, it wasn't pretty or sweet. It was aggressive and it was uh, a little bit off-putting and it was energetic and it was, there was a lot of reporting in it that a lot of the industry wasn't that happy about the reporting being so hard-hitting. So, we lost a lot of advertisers and um, Cy Newhouse, the owner just was said, go for it. You know, you're going to make a magazine that readers care about. And if readers care about it, everything else will follow. The business will follow. Don't worry about it. So he was very um, supportive of, of the journalism. That's amazing. Wow. Wait, do you remember who was on the cover of the first issue? Oh yeah. It was Stephanie Seymour. And it was a, it was a photograph of just um, 
her the top part of her face as you said putting her hand over her eyes to shield her eyes from the sun and, and her, you could see her brows and it was a little bit before brow grooming there were no such thing as a brow groomers so her brows were really um ungroomed okay. and i looked back and i'm like oh whoa we could have really um, <laughs> yeah. at least maybe retouched a little bit not to i mean to stephanie's gorgeous but it was just very close up of you know not terribly groomed brows but yeah oh, it was funny. a super it was a, it was a, such a fun cover because it was not what you would expect right yeah yeah so tell us a little bit about how the magazine evolved, where you eventually had more than seven ad pages, right, I right, assume. Right, yeah. <laughs> I know. House was a very yeah. generous man who just let you keep publishing this magazine. <laughs> well, I know, right? And it was, well, very soon after that, um, we got a lot of pages of advertising. And then everyone sort of thought, well, this, you know, this is like a immediate success. So they, of course, the first five months were really rough, but, but then it really became very successful, Knockwood. And then... Um, but the good news is throughout, throughout it all, we still lost advertising and we still, um, but we had like, we, we had moments of just great journalism. I, we, one of the, um, people I was very happy about hiring was this woman named Joan Crone, who, um, decided that she wanted to take on, um, as her, uh, reporting specialty, the plastic surgery world. And, you know, it was a time when Botox didn't exist in the U.S. as a wrinkle procedure, and there were no um, line fillers. The Retin-A had not been FDA approved. So it was a long time ago. And it's hard to even imagine the world before all those things, you know, because they yeah. would take them all for granted. But um, so she wanted to do this partly as a personal interest. I think she was 60 at the time. And so she decided to shop for a facelift and see what each doctor told her. And then she wrote it anonymously. And then she was like, oh, who am I kidding? I'm not going to be anonymous. And so she became this. And she wrote the most extraordinary stories, not all of them from a personal point of view, but about dangers in plastic surgery and, and you know, very controversial things. She was threatened with a lawsuit, which is, you know, which when the lawyer calls and says, congratulations, you have your first lawsuit. And it was like a sign of good journalism. And we fought <laughs> that. But um, and so that was hugely fun. And then I got really fantastic writers to write for us. So that was a, that was sort of my personal um, you know, pleasure that I, I, I love to read. I love to read current literature. I, um, I'm always reading something and I would just read a book I really liked and call the writer and say, would you write for us? And usually they, it would take a little time before they would get a feeling for what kind of story it would be. Cause it was not about like, what's your favorite blush? Although Eve Babbitts did write about that, which was amazing. Um, but we had Cheryl Strayed and we had Elizabeth Gilbert and John Updike, John Updike, um, he's no writing about alive. beauty. Writing about beauty. What did he write? He wrote about the sun. He had psoriasis, oh, okay. and he used to sunbathe all the time. And he wrote about his relationship with the sun. And the headline was the prodigal son. But he, um, we would send him these. The the person, the editor in charge of that, Mary Turner, would write him these letters because it was back in the day when you know he liked to get solid mail, and um, and so and we'd suggest ideas for stories, and he would write us back on one of those like postcards from the post office and say <laughs> something so polite but also sort of mildly insulting about the idea that we suggested and we both just like hold our heads and just wince and be like so shamed and then one day a story arrived and then in the mail and it was just he wrote the he wrote the piece and it was 
no contract, no agreement on the rate, nothing. Just like, <laughs> here's you your story. And so that was amazing. Um, Edna O'Brien, um, you know, uh, it's just writer, one after the other of all these extraordinary writers. It just made me so happy. So that was my little secret pleasure. That's really cool. Really cool. So we have so many more questions for you when we get to them about Allure, but tell us a little bit about how you founded Flesh, how you left Allure and yeah, started you, the next chapter. Did you ever think you'd have your own beauty line? I always wanted to. Yeah. I always wanted to have one, particularly the more I got involved in, I started Allure Best of Beauty. And the more I got involved in that whole process, I was like, I really want to do this. But, um, but you know, wanting to have a line, uh, it's like, I also want to write a novel, but I haven't done that. Yeah. Know? And so, you know, there's that desire to do it. But then I got this incredible opportunity. So I, I, I left Allure. I was fired. I've talked about that. We can talk about it later. But, um, but I wrote for a lot of different places. In the meantime, the cut being my favorite. And then I was hired at Revlon to be the chief creative officer. So I went to Revlon and, you know, overseeing the look and feel of all the different brands. And, um, and most of my energy was spent on the Revlon brand, but they also have some many other brands. So working on that and the CEO at the time decided that it would be great for Revlon to the company to have, um, a prestige brand, you know, a higher price brand that was um, created in the indie, um, in the indie format of like very fast to market using third party manufacturers, which is like independent suppliers, independent packaging. So um, I was like, raised my hand and he wanted me to do it. And I was like, I'm in so fast. And so I hired a makeup artist who doesn't want to be named, but a lot of people know who he is, but he's, I hired him mostly because he is an incredible artist with the most particular and excellent sense of color. And he's super stubborn. He fights and fights and fights for what he thinks is right. So I was like, I need someone who's going to be a fighter. So we went off and um, created the line. And within three months, I had the name, the logo, the packaging, and the product assortment. And so oh my God. so fast. So I mean, again, like you such... just move fast. Like, <laughs> I'm I like starting fast. allure. Yeah. I really like moving fast. I feel like the tortoise here, it takes like a year to start a magazine, three months to start a beauty line. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Well, yeah. yeah. And then it'll take me, you know, three years to write an article. So you know, <laughs> believe me, I can procrastinate with the best of them. But part of it too is what you don't know, you yeah. know? And so, um, and it was, I just had this tiny team of, of really talented people, creative director, Ruba Abunima. I uh, had um, someone who worked with her, um, created the logo. And I just said to her before we did that, I said, I wanted to be voluptuous and kind of like soft porn in the seventies. And she, I love that description. Yeah. And it's very, that is what you got. Yeah, totally. it is. The she walked in the room, she spread out like six different logos and it was, that was it. It was like, I want that one. And she walked out of the room and said, did that really just happen? Was that it? Yeah. I'm like, that's it. So I'm very decisive, but I also, it was just, I saw everything that I loved. And so that was superb. And Revlon was extraordinary in, it was an amazing thing to be able to create a line, sort of following that speed to market. And I, the, the company let me, the leadership at the company kind of let me cut through a lot of red tape and procedures and not follow the usual plan, which was amazing. Cause it was really, 
a, a question of could we do something quickly? I was going to say those big companies, it takes like five years to do anything. It's hard. It's yeah. hard. And they have, you know, it's, they have different requirements because they're big companies. And yeah. They're international and they're, you know, and they've got, you know, lots of uh, different retailers and everything. And this was much simpler because it didn't have that. We were just going to be in the U.S. We were exclusive to Ulta. That was a little detail because we were planning on having this be a uh, line for Ulta, but we didn't hadn't told Ulta that yet. <laughs> just surprise. Here so I go. went to in November. So I started working on it in July. And in November, I went to Ulta with this whole presentation and the packaging and the look and everything. And it was, and, and it was like, it was the most nerve wracking thing because I thought, what if they don't like it? Then what? Yeah. Um, and they loved it and they wanted it right away. So that was good. But um, so I got to cut through a lot of the procedures, but I also got the benefit of the company's, you know, resources. So lawyers and supply chain and all those things that are really complicated for an indie brand to deal with, they were all there. And it was just like, I had sent an email to the um, trademark lawyer about all the names. And it was just like, you can have these and you can't have those. And it would just yeah. be like, so it was very fast. You were in such a unique position because you got to have all the resources of this massive company to launch a niche brand. Right. Yeah. So that was amazing. That's the dream. Well, Except I would just think there was probably a lot of red tape. Well, one thing that I'm really curious about, because beauty is, is such a crowded industry, having been at Allure, what were you thinking in terms of like, here are the things that the beauty industry is doing wrong, or here's what I can do differently? Like, how did you think about what you wanted to bring to market with Flesh when it was just an idea? Um, you know, it's funny, because I was thinking, you know, in a way, there's there, like, uh, the thing that would keep me up at night is like, is it really so different? And then... um you know, you think about, I know the difference between Balenciaga and Vuitton and, you know, maybe Celine and Chloe. And, you know, I, I know those differences are very clear to me. And so, and I know the difference between, you know, Bobby Brown and Mac and Estee Lauder. They're very, very clear to me. I mean, those are established brands, so it's easier. But, but I think that I, so I, I, that was like, I've, I, there were moments where I'd have a panic, like, this isn't revolutionary. And then I think, but you know what? It does, to me, it does speak um, to something that was a need in the market. And to me, it was um, makeup that was very much about your skin and that was very easy and accessible to use. Like anybody can take this and you don't need tools and you don't need techniques and you can use as much or as little, but it wasn't invisible. It wasn't like no makeup at all. Yeah. And so it wasn't, so it was, there was this, this like, gap in the market where I felt like there was kind of very makeup that was almost skincare and very, very light, or there was this extreme, like, you know, use 500 products and sculpt and, you know, bake and do all those other things. And so I felt like it was this kind of comfortable place in, in the middle, or maybe not in the middle, but, you know, the, an opening for this. So, um, and that was, I wanted everything to be really luscious and sensuous and you could use your fingers and, and I kind of thought about it as, a makeup line for beauty editors. And even though I want the audience to be obviously, I want the consumer to be a much huger you know, group than that. Um, but that just real, real discernment of formula and quality, but also the aesthetic of that, like most beauty editors, they have amazing skin and they're, they wear a lot of products, but it doesn't look like they're wearing a ton. Yeah. They and, never look like they have any makeup on. Yeah. And then they'll wear like yeah. a strong lip. Yeah. You know, 
And so, or they'll put on a strong, some kind of odd color on the eye, but everything else is kind of neutral. So that was the idea of it is, and it's kind of to me also the way that fashion editors dress. Fashion mm-hmm. editors, for the most part, are not flashy. And so, and it's like a very, kind of, like you think about Grace Coddington or, or Tawny Goodman or, you know, any of the kind of, you know, classic fashion editors, they wear kind of a basic palette and then they'll have one thing. Yeah. You know? So that was the idea. I love that. So, um, talk to us a little bit about the name. Yeah, it's right, a right. I know. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because it was the name. she's wearing a necklace that says "flesh" around her neck. So, if someone was like a stranger, they'd be like, "Is this person like a vampire? Like, <laughs> Does she have right. a fetish? Like, yeah. what? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah, I know. Good. Yeah, Just keep questioning it, right? So, um, I, you know, when I when I had the idea for the foundations and saw all those foundations together, it was like. They're all in these little sticks that are all shade matched to the product. I mean, it was, we hadn't come up with all the shades, but I saw, saw this idea together and I thought, this is flesh and it's just, it's, I feel like it's, it's sensuous and it's physical and carnal and, you know, real and mushy and fleshy. And, and so that was the idea of it. And, and I, and so it was really the only name I had and, I loved it. And then I went out for dinner with my younger son and he was like, it's a terrible name. And it sounds so weird. And then it's also like zombies. And and I never, oh my God. never <laughs> occurred to me, never yeah. occurred to me. So um, then when we came out, but I loved it and I liked pl- the playing on it and having, there's a, the sheer lipstick is called fleshy lips. And then the names of the lipsticks are, are all like related to what you do with your lips. Like, chew and gorge and pucker and drool and and lick and so so i um so the so we the line came out and the lots of consumers on the ulta site started to just go crazy about the name thinking it was the grossest name ever oh it really such a terrible name and like this is so offensive this is so weird this is like Hannibal Lecter who's the marketing department you know and it went on and on, and on. like you know is this a someone said it was like at a um, cannibal picnic I'm like I don't even know what a cannibal picnic is but I like it and <laughs> and then there was a reddit thread and a subreddit thread oh and God. everything about the names and so um I just went through and just would like on Instagram would just like all the comments and not obviously I'm not going to comment on the negative comments because I think go for it. You're allowed to be negative. But, um, but I just love the fact that people had this passionate response to it. And we ended up creating this fake newspaper that we, um, handed out. I don't know, like sometime last year, I think, but it was all about the terrible names and how, you know, all the quotes and then we had all these stories that we made up about the names and it was so much fun. I love that. You need to teach us how to own negative feedback because yeah. I think sometimes it's it's so hard to look at the bad things that people say and not to get caught up and even just one negative in a slew of positives. But I love that yeah. you just owned it. You were like, we're gonna make a magazine about it. Yeah. And I think my skin is a little thicker having been in a magazine and gotten negative feedback for so much because, you know, when, when Allure came out, it was offensive and we got lots of negative press about it. And, you know, the, the industry hated it. And I kind of had it made me have to 
defend it because it was either that or else capitulate. And sure. I realized, you know, and you can make those decisions. You can say, okay, well, you have a point and I'm, I'm going to take this criticism to heart, which I always do think about the criticism, but I'm not going to change the names of the products. So, um, in fact, when we were in the meeting at Ulta, one of the women said, you know, I just have a question. It was at the very end of the meeting. I just have a question about the names. When I go out with my friends and we're having wine, we talk about words we hate. And the word that we hate most is moist, but the second word we hate is flesh. And I said, really? Yeah. And I'm like, I love it. I said, I love that. I think that it's memorable. Yeah. And then we did name in her honor a lipstick moist. So. <laughs> <laughs> this poor woman. She's like, I oh hate everything God. about this line. <laughs> That's so funny. That's but hilarious. Just, I feel like sometimes um, things that are polarizing either they they engender passion one way or the other and you know the fragrance industry is so good at that they like there are a lot of fragrance um makers of perfumers who deliberately want to have a polarizing scent that makes so much sense yeah yeah like because it's such an emotional angel is is polarizing but look at it was also one of the best-selling fragrances i know yeah so yeah so what's the product in the line that you are the most proud of I love the foundation so much. And it was um, a very hard one um, process because we wanted to do 40 foundations. Um, and, and you know, at the time that we were doing it, it was still in the sort of early days of a lot of foundations. And um, the the darker shades were extremely ashy in their first incarnation. Oh. And we kept, you know, and the formula it's something that I didn't know, but you add more black to it and you add more black to it and it was just not holding. And as, yeah. as you did it on the skin, it looked really ashy. It looked great in the, in the, on the package, but not yeah. on the skin. So we kept struggling with it and struggling with it. And finally it was like, you know what? We need a different formula. And so we reformulated the darker shades. And so that they're two different formulas and, um, but it, we had to work really hard to get that other formula to work and to make sure that we uh, had the dark shades that really worked, like, you know, some different undertones and we had to admit, pay attention to all those things across the board. So that was to me the greatest. Um, I just think the products are beautiful. And when we did our first shoot, we had a model from, um, her name is Ajak. I don't know whether you know this model, but she's from the South Sudan. And she put the darkest foundation on. She brought her own foundation to the shoot because she's so accustomed to never having yeah. anything that matched. So all of a sudden it was like, okay, moment of truth. She put it on and she was just like beaming. We have it on um, video. Oh, that's the but it true was testament. Best. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so those I'm really, really proud of. Um, I love. I love stick foundations. I've always loved them, but even on my skin, I've found that they turn gray. So, um, so I, but these do not. And then, um, this is just to interrupt you really quickly before you talk about another product. This is the first time that I've tried a stick foundation and usually I use a liquid foundation. And one of the things that's so nice is that a lot of times I won't wear makeup during the day, but then, you know, I'll be somewhere and want to put on makeup for a night and it's so much more portable. Right. I love it's how really small portable. the little, it's like a little nugget. It doesn't take up too much room in my makeup bag. Mm-hmm. I love, love, love the packaging. I'm so yeah. glad because I yeah. love the size too. Now we got a lot of criticism at the beginning for it being small, but even if you kind of say, okay, this number of ounces, and then if you multiply it, you make it equal to a bigger thing, it's still less expensive, but people were upset about the size. But I find for me, 
me and I use it every day that it lasts a really long time. It lasts a long time. It's bizarre. How I haven't long it like lasts. turned it yet. Like I've used it oh, like yeah. probably 10 times and I haven't turned it. It just like it, it magically like not a lot comes off when you put it on. Right. Yeah. And I use my finger to put it on and um I just smudge it right onto my oh, face yes. and yeah. then use the beauty blender. <laughs> that works too. And then but um I think if you use a brush you do go through it faster, but I find it just I've always loved to stick foundation and I, my the my first makeup lesson um was from Bobby Brown and it was before she had a line and she was like in her boyfriend's apartment and she's like, "You know, I'd love to give you a makeup lesson." So I went over there and she had this tiny little nub of a stick. I think it was Shiseido or yeah. And um, it was like my favorite product. So I've always really loved them. I think that they're also seamless because you can use, you can use them if you're just like, as you say, you walk out the door without any um, foundation on then suddenly in the middle of the day, you think, you know what, I've got to go somewhere. I've got to put something on. You can just apply it in the spots you need it. You don't have to put it all over. It's like, yeah. you know, sometimes you get started and you can't stop. You yeah. know? So, um, so I feel like it's really an easy to use product too. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. But wait, I interrupted you. You're going to yeah. say another product that you were really proud of or you love. I love, I mean, I really love the primer. I've never been a primer person. I've, I've bought them. I've never used them. I've didn't care about them. I thought, well, is this just the, the industry trying to sell me one other thing that I don't need? I always need? felt the same way. Yeah. I love our primer and I use it every day and I've actually gone through three bottles of it. Um, and uh, it's very cooling and it's illuminating. It has this blue, kind of blue, slightly blue tint to it. I swear it makes you look like younger and like just so fresh yeah. and it makes the foundation work better. I think that might be why I use less because it just like... Like it, the two just work so well together. Thanks. I really feel the same way. I feel like it really, they really, I think you, you need it with the foundation unless your skin is really moist to start with, but I have dry skin. I love it. So that's a, that's a winner to me. And then the blush to me is, um, my favorite. It's like the shades are so gentle and kind of there. I called it tender blush because they have this kind of tender quality to it. But there are also some, there's one that's really shocking pink and everything. But I just, I think they're like the perfect kind of fineness. The mill of the powder is really fine. And I, I love the blush. And then um, fleshy lips is something I really love. And it's the sheer lipstick. The sheer yeah. yeah, I like those too. So when we were talking before we recorded the episode, I told Linda that I love the blush because I love a cream blush and she was our blush is powder. And I was like, oh, I think I'm using lipstick on my face's blush. So yeah. it also, I like that it's really versatile. And the other thing I didn't realize until you said it is that I've used all of the flesh products I've tried with my hands. I haven't mm -hmm. used any brushes with it. Right. Which makes it so easy. I know. And that means that we're not YouTube stars because YouTube stars no, would be not. scandalized by yeah. that behavior. Yeah. They like a brush and a sponge. They have not. But I spent most of my career backstage at the fashion shows watching makeup artists work. And um, I've watched Pat McGrath in action for ages. And, you know, the way she uses her fingers is just mesmerizing. And I think that there's something about that pressing it on your skin and the heat of your hands and the way it sort of melds with your face um, is really a kind of makes the makeup feel more like it's part of you. But you know, it's everyone uses different things and has their own comfort level, but you don't have to have tools. Yeah. What about bestsellers? Because I'm just curious, are the bestsellers in line with your personal favorites? Or is there something that's been like a runaway success? Um, 
Well, the bestsellers definitely are the um, Fleshy Lips, the new sheer lipstick I mentioned. And then um, the primer's huge. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, it's really- I love the primer. And that was a surprise. I did not think that the primer would be uh, yeah. such a big seller. And I didn't think the blush would be such a big seller. And it's really, really a big one too. And I kind of thought, well, this, you know- I love the blush, but is, do people really get excited about blush? Apparently, yes. Okay. So that was good. And then um, the stick foundations as a whole, there's so many of them, but as a whole group, they're really big sellers. And then Flesh Pot is one that I really What's love too. Pot? So Flesh Pot is this, it's in a pot and it's this gold glimmery, gold pink glimmery gel. It's not sparkly, but it's kind of got this sheen. And it's the idea for it came, it's actually an eye gel that goes on your eyelids, but you can use it on your cheeks and your lips as well. So it's it's one shade, multi-purpose. We now have two additional ones, but we started with just the kind of OG um, flesh pot. And it came from my time backstage when I would watch makeup artists put on something on the eyelids that was like a like a Vaseline kind of product mm. type of product. And yeah. it was great because it made it gave it that shimmery kind of like that shiny, sexy thing going on. And then sometimes if you apply it over makeup, it can kind of smudge your black makeup and it makes it look really kind of cool and yeah. moody and everything. So um but but those things melt and this you know, this doesn't melt in that same way. Of course, eventually it's going to crease and things like that, but it's so easy to fix. You just touch it. So that's a big seller. Okay. So we're going to shift gears to Allure. Um, One question that got asked, I'm so happy it did because I had a friend who worked there, um, is the best of beauty. The test, like we, we both said, like when we see that little red seal on something, we know it's a good product. What goes into the testing process? It is the most arduous thing you can ever imagine. And, you know, when I started Best of Beauty, I don't know what year it was, maybe 97, um, the uh, Cy Newhouse who owned Conde uh, um, Nast said, you know, that's the craziest thing. You're committing career suicide. You're going to, you know, alienate everybody who doesn't win if you just say this is the best mascara or that's the best concealer. And I really wanted to do it because I felt like shopping for beauty products is so hard. There's just so much out there. It's so overwhelming. And I wanted to sort of have something definitive on what we knew worked really well. So the, so as a result, though, I felt this enormous responsibility to make sure that we were really testing everything and really doing our homework and really diligent about it. So we start the whole process in April and the issue comes out in October and um, so we call in products, we start to divide products for different people's skin and different people's skin color and skin type and style and, you know, comfort level. So different people test different things, but we have lots of different testers for each category. And then um, we all kind of have our own system at home. You turn your apartment over to like beauty products. They're everywhere. And you have- I would love going over my friend's apartment and seeing everything there. It was like so fun. It's this was Excellent. before I had a blog and found it annoying to have all those products. <laughs> right? But like, I was like, this is heaven. It's, I mean, it is, it's heaven. And then it's like that kind of thing where you think, okay, now I've got to eat ice cream for every single meal, 24 hours a day. It's a lot. But yeah. um, so we would make, we all kind of had our own system, but we'd make like charts and we'd often test against previous winners or sort of things that are acknowledged as like the best in their category to make sure that whatever we're choosing um, meets the um, criteria and is good enough. And then we get in a room and then we start fighting. 
basically and arguing <laughs> about what's the winner and people got very passionate and, you know, and so we would kind of convene and go through things. And then, then usually if we narrowed it down to about five things and everybody would try those five things and then we'd have a conference and figure it out. The thing, the category that's really the toughest is break the breakthrough awards. And those that's those are products that are legitimate breakthroughs that whether it's through science or through some technique or something about it is just different from anything else that's out there and sort of opens up a whole category. And so um what that, are examples of some things that have like won in the breakthrough category? Right. Um I wish that yeah, you asked that, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um there's a product that I love called Erasa and that was a breakthrough and it's this product that has like um, firming qualities to it, which doesn't sound believable, but really is. Um, Neutrogena once came out with a, a spray on sunscreen that worked on wet skin. Okay. Um, so that was a breakthrough at the time. And there was that self-tanner that you could use in the shower. I right? feel like that one. The Saint-Tropez self-tanner yeah. that you could mm-hmm. use in the shower. That was a breakthrough. Um, and then sometimes it was it would be some like tool or something and now i'm sort of having a mental block but it would be um you know like oh i know the temp to the spray mm-hmm. um makeup foundation apply application um that was a big one um and then there would be you know hair dryers that that wouldn't cause damage and would, would turn off or adjust so that they wouldn't destroy your hair so it was a lot of different things and yep. there were some things that were more medical um you know you'd have to have a prescription for um and i'm trying to think like uh, i can't really think of what anything right now but you know various ingredients that were special so we would then get clinical t- tests and the scientific write-ups for this clinical test, go through them, make sure. So pretty much nothing can win if it's, if it's a medical or clinical breakthrough that doesn't have clinical tests. And okay. then, um, then we would have scientists examine the tests because we aren't scientists. And so we would do all that to, to, to make those breakthroughs, put them through the ringer. And I mean, we'd start out with a group of, you know, 200 products and narrow it down sometimes to seven. And it was just a killer, a total killer. We tried to make it as hard as we possibly could. It makes me yeah. feel really good because I, I know the seal and sometimes when you're on Sephora or Ulta, I'm just overwhelmed by the options. And yeah. you're like, oh, I, I know I want a pink blush, but like there are 97. How do I know which one? And so I know the seal, but it actually makes me feel really great to know how rigorous the process is mm-hmm. to know that it's not just like, you know, oh, we we need to like we pick will, something. We wing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not winging it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So it really is legit. And the funny thing about the seal is we started the seal as a design, um, just a piece of design and we thought yeah. it'd be fun to have a little seal on the, on the cover and you know how that's been and then suddenly it's iconic now the publisher also thought you know what we could actually license this seal to people who win the award so we can't tell the publisher in advance who's going to win but once that person wins then you can pay a certain fee to license it to put it on your product or in your ad or on your website so it's a great thing for the products too when i was at sally hansen this was so long ago but i remember we won an award and it was like we had to redo all it was like in two days we had to redo all of our displays all of the packaging cartons everything because we're like we're getting that seal on everything we possibly can because it was like such a huge deal 
It's a big difference. It makes a big difference in sales of a product. Yeah. I mean, it just is that in a sea of things, that seal stands out. Yeah. Well, wait, you recently won a Best of Beauty Award. Yeah, well, I know. What did you win it for and how did that feel? We yeah. won it for our lipstick and it's- The violet um, one, right? The tr- it's called Treasure. Okay. And it's, um, a, it's a bulleted lipstick that's very, very pigmented. And it's one of those- purples that looks great on every skin. Really? Um, and so we wanted, and it's so, it was so much fun to be on that side to, to realize that what it's like to be a recipient of that award. It is the happiest moment. It, you feel so good. It's so exciting. And like you at Sally Hansen, we were like, we have the seal and we have to get it on every display at Ulta, mm-hmm. even if it means that we're going to just stick it on there ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, I think, an option that was presented. It's like, well, we could get this sticker made and put it in. And no one wants like, to do that. Who's putting these but, stickers yeah, on? Right. Yeah. I was like, I am. I'll yeah. put those stickers on. I'm going to have no shame. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was such a great thing. It was so much fun. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I'm really kind of cool. interested. I, I don't know if I'm a purple lipstick person, but I'm kind of interested to just check it out. You can yeah. check it out. If, yeah. If I can't I'll see that anyone. being my look, but I kind of want to do it. I'm not I'm not a purple lipstick person either, but I love that it won and love that people love it. Yeah. That's really cool. That was fun. Uh, oh, what about covers? So we talked a little bit about your first cover. Do you have a favorite Allure cover of all time? I think my, you know, I have so many favorites and it's, you know, 25 years is a long time. And there were moments where I was so excited just because we were the first. So we were the first non-music magazine to have Beyonce on the cover. Oh, and really? And the first non-music magazine to have Rihanna on the cover. I took Rihanna to her first Met Ball. And Fun. Um, it was so sweet, but she was just like, what am I doing here? And oh, I don't feel good. I'm like, oh. it was, but it was yeah. before like wear the naked dress or wear the dress right. 3000, you know, yeah. the train that goes on forever. So, um, but I think in terms of aesthetics and just sort of iconic moments, there was this cover of Linda Evangelista in 1991 or two. And it's, uh, it's like this, her neck is really long and it's white background and her hair is really white. And it just has this kind of like, it looks like it could have been published, you know, 40 years before or 40 years hence. Mm. It kind of looked very modern, but also very retro. It just has a graphic quality. I love it. So that was a good one. I love cool. that. Was there anyone that you feel like you like, well, Beyonce and Rihanna, obviously, but you feel like you like broke through to the industry? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Brittany Spears was on our cover and she, I was advised by the senior people at the company, you can't put her on. She's a teen star. She's not, it's not going to translate. And, um, and I said to this, to my friend who was the editorial director, James Truman, I said, when I put her on, you have to come down to my office and perform Hit Me Baby one more time for the entire staff. So when it sells really well. was <laughs> <laughs> his of course, it was, a total, it was a total gamble. He didn't do it, obviously. But um, <laughs> but then we had her on the cover, and then I went to the MTV Awards where she had the snake, and she was dancing. And Do you remember that? And yeah, absolutely. It was, like, it was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Because you don't really know. It's always a gamble, and I've had plenty of like gambles that failed, but, um, but she was a really good one. We had Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, as a, um, they were on the cover, um, together and it was their first like grown up 
cover and they didn't have a line then and that was and they were still making those like movies about like Mary Kate and Ashley go oh to Paris God. or whatever. They're all on Hulu now. Like <laughs> there's gonna be a really lazy weekend where I just go revisit all of them. That oh is my so gosh. funny. Yeah. So anyway, that was really fun. And you know, there were just so many firsts that were we I feel like we were we were we took the risk and then other magazines would follow when they saw if it would succeed or not. And so that was a lot of fun. That's That's really cool. So I guess we're kind of switching gears. We want to ask about career, but I mean, a lot of this obviously has to do with the lore too. Um, So a lot of people wanted your career advice. So the first question we got is what are the top three things you look for in a new hire? I am not a traditional interviewer. I like to have a conversation and often it doesn't feel at all like an interview. And I think people probably walk away and think, huh, what, what just happened here? But it's just because I want to get a sense of a person. So for me, the qualities are um, obviously hard work, but a kind of um, the kind of hard work that isn't, um, I don't want a diva. I don't want someone who's not going to be able to roll up their sleeves and do the tough stuff too. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just, you know, it's not productive to have someone who's that way. So someone who's willing to do whatever it takes. And you never, I think that people get a lot of career advice. It's like, don't do the drudgery because you will be always asked to do the drudgery. And that's just not true. If you're talented, no one's going to ask you to do the drudgery. But if you're, if you do the, the terrible, dirty, boring stuff, everyone respects you for being a hard worker and like pitching in and not being above anything. So, um, so I love that. I like someone who has, um, who's really resourceful, mm-hmm. who can figure out. And so I, I usually like ask a question, like, tell me about, you know, some problem you solved. I mean, I know that's very typical, but you know, I want to get the sense of how resourceful they are getting answers, getting, you know, doing what, doing the best they can with the resources that they have. So that's really a, a really important quality. I like a sense of humor. I don't think it's crucial, but I just like someone who kind of rolls with the punches and, um, and I like really a sense of curiosity. So I like to ask people, what are they reading? Or what have they, what have they seen any art? Or are they, you know, what are they watching? Or I just want to know like their kind of their sense of connection with the world. Because I really feel like, and this did come from magazines too, is that you're so much better at your job if you're um engaged in things outside of your job. And so, um, and I like, I believe in people having vacation and getting away and experiencing things. But if you're seeing art and you're reading things and you're talking to interesting people and you're taking classes or doing whatever, it just makes you so much better. So that is a really important thing. I don't believe in like a sort of narrow focused grind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really good advice. Those are things I like, yeah. What about, so right now it's like college graduation time. What would your best advice be for a recent graduate? We got a lot of people ask this one. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think that um, it's both, you know, it's a, both a great time and a hard time to get a job, but it's that's always true. And and yeah. I think that my example of, um you know, being told I was useless by the Harper's Bazaar publisher and then getting a job <laughs> at Vogue three days later is an example of how somewhat arbitrary it is and how you can't give up. But um, I do think that the, the greatest thing is to try to work at a place that, that where you like the product, it, whatever that is. Like, I really was lucky to get a job at a magazine that I loved and I couldn't believe how lucky I was to get it, but it was like, work at something you love and then you don't have to fake it. You know, then you really want to participate in it. So whatever that thing is, like find the best place for you for the things that you love the most. And 
I think that sometimes when you're in college, you think that work is supposed to be um, hard and punishing and joyless. And there is no, I did, I thought so too. Yeah. I was like, I'm, well, this is what's going to happen. Like, we're going to be business ladies and it's going to be really hard. And you can't laugh and you can't have a real conversation. You can't be yourself and you have to like very, you know, perfect posture and everything. And (laughs) I'm like, I I know, I know. Like I had no idea because I never really had an office job before. And so it was so interesting to me how, you know, you need to make sure that there's an element of pleasure in your job in some aspect. And I think that it could be over overstated. And, you know, I think that that whole like find your passion can be um kind of uh, like a burden in a way, like maybe you do, maybe it isn't your passion, passion. I read a really interesting study, I think, I can't remember where, maybe the New York Times, but it was about how you don't need to be to love every minute of your job. It's your job. There are going to be parts of your job that you don't like at all. But if you can make a list and you like something as small as like 30% of it, that's good. That's enough. And so I thought, oh, I didn't know if someone made a study of this. But anyway, so so to go back to advice for a graduate, and then if you're having trouble and if you're having trouble connecting, I do think that social media is an unbelievable tool that people don't use enough as a way to get connected to a brand or a, a place that they want to work. And if it's a, it's, if it's a place that has a, a, a kind of profile on Instagram, you can start to interact with Instagram in, a, in with their Instagram. I think everyone feels like they suddenly have to become this, you know, Instagram queen and you don't have to do that with your own. But if you if you comment really in, with great comments on someone else's Instagram or a company's Instagram or a product, they're going to notice. Yeah. And they will really appreciate it if you've got something or to say. Or they're employees too, because you can probably, you can find out who works there. Like when I was running social media for Bobble Bar, so many people would, con- would find me because I was there and like just reach out and some of them got hired. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a great way too. It's really surprising that if you interact or you leave a review, if you do, these are not hard things to do. And this is something that, you know, just put a little effort into it, put a little more effort into it than if you were doing it for fun. Yeah. And if you make it clever and then you keep doing it, someone's going to notice there and it will, and then find out who does social media, the company and connect with that person. So I think that there are a lot of ways in that, um, that there didn't used to be. And I think, you know, you don't have to necessarily go through HR. And then of course, you know, LinkedIn is a good thing, but it's hard to stand out. Yeah. So I, I mean, along the same lines for post-grad, um, first jobs kind of suck. So how do you differentiate between a job you hate and just paying your dues? That's such a great question. It's so funny, isn't it? Yeah. Because they can be both. And um, sometimes it is hard to tell. But I think that, you know, if the place that you're working is some somehow soul crushing or is just doesn't have the same values as you have, and you can't connect with anyone there, those are pretty good signs that you're in the wrong job. And I and I do believe that jobs are they have a kind of chemistry to them. You can find a place where you feel like you're right at home and you can find a place that even though you don't necessarily know anything, you can feel like you belong. And then there are places where you just need it, like the language. You don't even speak the language and mm-hmm. nothing seems right. I liked how last time you were talking about when you were at Allure, there are people who like you part of Right, ways. right. Yeah. So um, when I was at Allure, there were people who just were really talented, but this did not fit into Allure and just it wasn't the right match. And 
it was always that hard conversation to have that, you know, you're really good. And I know you're really good, but you're not doing your best work. And I think that you'd be happier somewhere else and more productive somewhere else. And this can't feel good to you either. And so as painful as those conversations are, these people have gone on to have great careers at other places. And I mean, even we had one who was um, an editorial assistant to the managing editor, and it was such a mismatch. And she went on to become a very talented designer named Eugenia, Eugenia Kim. Oh, my God. Her hats are amazing. Her hats are amazing. I have the cat she, ear beanie, of course, because cat lady. Of course. Yeah. But she was this editorial assistant, and it was just the biggest mismatch. And the managing editor was someone who specialized in like accounting and budgets. Mm -hmm. And I was like, these two do not belong in the same planet. Yeah. And so that was just like, she went on to have a genius career. But there are like, that happens. Yeah, and yeah. it's not a fault of anyone. It's just like, okay, hey, you move on, you have a bad relationship, you chalk it up to experience and you move on. Yeah. So we're going to take a really quick break for an ad. So we would like to take a minute to talk about one of our favorite sponsors, Night Pillow. Oh, night pillow. You both know we both sleep with a night pillow. Couldn't live without it. It Night is an NYC-based brand. It's female-founded, and the product is so unique. Um, so Ashley Spivey got us hooked on this, and the the pillow is unlike anything I've ever slept on. It's a memory foam pillow. It's a little harder than I was used to, mm -hmm. but the thing about it is, and I toss and turn a decent amount when I'm falling asleep is that it just springs back. So mm -hmm. it is, it shapes to you. So it's still really comfortable, but it also doesn't become pancakey. Yes. I am so obsessed with mine. I've said this over and over again, but I struggle with insomnia. I am such a light sleeper and this helps makes such a difference. Tyrion loves it too. Anytime I'm dating someone, they try and steal it. And I actually got my mom one for Mother's Day and my dad one for his birthday because um, they're one day apart in those two holidays. So I ordered the two-pack um, and got it for them. So I know we talk about night pillow a lot. And if you're not convinced by us, I get that. It, it's, it's a little bit expensive, but it's really great. So I wanted to read for, to you something that somebody posted in our Facebook Oh, this made me so it. happy. So this person said, I absolutely love mine. When I first got it, I was really unsure because it was so different than my old pillow and it was so pricey. I actually considered returning it, but then I got used to it and now I can't even imagine not having it. That's how I felt about mine. I was like, I don't know. This is like, it's kind of weird. I know. So... Other people agree it's not just us. The other thing I like people to know is that there's a 101 night return policy. So yeah. buy it, try it, and if after a few weeks you don't like it, just return it. Yeah. It's pretty risk free. Yeah. So I can't say enough good things about this pillow. I have six pillows on my bed, actually, seven if you count my Rebecca Atwood Designs pillow. Um, and before bed, I take them all off. And I only sleep with my two night pillows. Um, I I love it so much I'm tempted to travel with it, like start rolling it up and packing it in the suitcase. Ashley Spivey does that. I know she does. But um, we have a great treat for you. I used this when I got my parent got it for my parents. I feel very frugal. But um, visit www.discovernight.com to learn more about the pillow and their other luxurious beauty sleep products. They also have the most amazing sheet masks and there's like gold dust inside them. So they just leave you like so glowing, but you can take 20% off with code BOP 20. 
So that's discovernight.com and 20% off with code BOP20. Yeah. So go do that. You're going to, you won't be sad. And we're back. So another thing that somebody asked, and Grace and I have very strong feelings on this. Do you think it is worth it to pivot careers in your 30s? Absolutely. I think you should pivot your career at any time that um, I say that, of course, I had the same career for pretty much 30 years and 25 of them at Allure. And I think that though changing careers, even though that wasn't my choice, it made me feel much more alive. It made me feel like I was learning new things. I was not stuck in a rut. I wasn't just sort of like, I never thought I was like on autopilot, but it just did you you know how to do the job and it's right. very good to not know how to do something and to have to learn. Yeah. So really you can never stop um, learning and never stop pivoting. And I think um, because technology is so sped up now that everything's sped up. So, yeah. you know, you can get stuck doing one thing and that seems like, you know, you, you can be in magazines and now magazines in the last five years have just become like a very difficult place to be. And they're all downsizing and folding. You don't want to be in a career like that. You can get out before that happens and try something different. So I'm a big believer in constantly um, iterating and finding new things and never giving up. Just makes you such a more interesting person too, to have new things to talk about and new skills and just, you know, to be to try something else, even if you're bad at it. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. okay to be bad at something and to learn how to do it. And it just it just keeps you alive. I think it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about leaving Allure? Um so one of my models, role models for pivoting is um a reporter named Joan Crone, who I mentioned before, when she came to Allure, she became the plastic surgery expert and reporter. And I think she was 60 then. She started as a journalist when she was 40. Um, And then when she left Allure, she became a documentarian. Her first documentary is called Take My Nose, Please. And it's about comedians and plastic surgery. And it is really funny, but it's also really illuminating and heartbreaking and wonderful. And she was at all sorts of festivals. She's 90 now. And she's working on her second documentary. And she said, it's very funny trying to get funding for your second documentary when you're 90. Because people are thinking, when is it going to be done? Yeah. And will you make it? But she's like, she's fantastic. So I feel like she's an example to me that you can invent and reinvent yourself. And I hope to be able to do that until I'm 92. I love that. Um, do you want to talk to us a little bit about leaving Allure? I think it would be really interesting to know kind of like what those first few weeks were like, how you bounced back, and how you landed at Revlon. So I so I was fired, and I'm not someone who keeps secrets about that. I did never wanted it to be, um, you know, oh, I left for personal reasons, spend more time with my family, or, you know, whatever, one of those things that you read all the time. I just felt like I, I wanted to live my life honestly and sort of say, and I also feel like, you know, being fired is really painful and it's really and it was shakes. so public. It was so public. It was so public. And it really shakes your confidence and um and it's like all those things you associate with being a failure. And I was very much an overachiever. So for me it was like the worst kind of like feeling. But I thought, you know what? I'm not going to let this destroy me and I'm not gonna let it define me. And I understood why I um, why the company was doing what it had to do. I mean, they is in essence, everybody who made over a certain amount of money was fired. And so in, at Allure. And so um, anyway, so when they 
told me this. I left, I, I got my whole team together and told them what was going on and everyone was crying and I was like not crying and I felt kind of bad about not crying. But I said, you know, I, I wanted them to know how I felt about them and, you know, how great they were to me. And then I pretty much just ran out the door because I did not want to be around for a long time and have it be awkward for everybody. So the company said you can stay till, I don't know, I think this was maybe November. They said you could stay to the end of the year. And I just thought that's weird. And, or stay at the company doing something. I don't know what. And I, and I just thought that's just so strange. I'm not going to just stay around. I've got to go. So I left and, um, I went, I went to a spa and that's sort of cliche, but I went to this place in, called Rancho La Puerta and, um, just over the border of Mexico. And it was, I really wanted to just like clear my head and like be healthy and, you know, like take long hikes in nature. And it's really amazing how taking long hikes in nature is so healing. So, and I felt really good. And, um, and then I came back and I, immediately started working for the cut. Stella Bugby asked me to write for the cut and that was amazing. And then Michael Clinton at Hearst asked me to write for a bunch of um, magazines at Hearst. So, um, so I immediately got back to work, but, but the first few weeks are just, it was like disorienting. I'd never not had an assistant. I'd never, I'd never not worked in a big office with a lot of other people and it was kind of lonely. And, um, and then it was also coming to terms with, um, with being fired. And, the day after I was fired, I had to go up. My my sons went to a boarding school in New Hampshire, and I was um, I had committed to going up there to. They had this like ideas festival, and they invited me to speak. So I was like, I can't do that. And I thought, but I have no choice. I've got to go up there. I committed to doing it. So when I stood in front of them, and I had a couple of different sessions that day, that day, and I had to tell them who I was. I had to change. I am the editor of Allure to I was. And, oh yeah. Oh, that one that word was terrible. And I really choked up. And I was like, Oh my god, I got to pull myself together because this is bad enough for my kids. You know, they your kids are always embarrassed of you. And so, um, so I pulled it together. And I just got a DM recently from someone who was in the audience and she was like, I remember that moment. And so, um, and how meaningful it was to her when she was going through a tough time. So I feel like, you know what, it's like, I want to be public about going through a tough time and surviving it and making sure that, you know, everyone knows that you can, I created this thing. And I was, and it was my creation with a big team, but it was in my head. And I was fired from it. And that's a terrible thing to go through, but it's survivable. And I also felt like I didn't want that to be who I was. So it was important for me to get back to work. And I loved getting back to being a reporter again and a writer because it was how I started. And there was something about um, just being in that immediacy of writing and reporting that kind of brought me back to a kind of reality. And working at Condé Nast was heaven, but it was also, you're really insulated a lot. And you have an assistant and you have people keeping you from things and they're gatekeepers and they're car and drivers. And, you know, there are these, you know, five-star hotels and everything's super fancy and great and super lush and comfortable. And, and I loved it, never complain about it, but it takes you a really far away from reality. And I wanted to get my feet on the ground in a very literal way. I wanted to like walk on the yeah. streets and, yeah. you know, talk to people and travel light with a bag and a, you know, my iPhone recording things and just be back in the world, you know? Yeah. How did you decide what you wanted to do next? Not just the freelance reporting, but, you know, all of a sudden you've been somewhere for 25 years and now you're like, oh, I have a blank page in front of me. 
Um, you know, I had a lot of friends who said, don't take any job for a year. And um, Graydon Carter told me that. And I thought, well, yeah, that's easy for you to say. I mean, I don't have, you know, this stockpiled fortune somewhere. And I have kids who are, you know, in school, and I've got to pay all that. And so um, I, so I, I, I worked and actually, I ended up making more money than I made before because I was yeah. like so worried about working, but I worked in a different way, like these writing jobs. And I did a lot of consulting for beauty companies. And so I was doing some consulting for beauty companies and I was like, this is really interesting. And I'd always been interested in like, what, what if I started a line? And I worked so closely with beauty companies when I was at Allure. And so Revlon, the people at Revlon um, were interested in having me come to be the chief creative officer, a position that wasn't held by anybody. So it was kind of a blank slate um, question mark. And, um, and so that sounded really intriguing to me. I'd always really respected the company and the products and thought that that could be a real adventure. And, um, and so I said yes to that. And it was, has been fantastic. Um, I, I think that's just like such a great story. And I think it's so interesting. Like I, I can't imagine building something for that long, having it taken away from you, but then like building something even more exciting. It was an amazing thing. I do think that like building flesh is, has, has kind of pulled on that muscle of starting something. And I really like starting and creating something. And um, there's just something very, um, gratifying. And I, I, and, and it's interesting because even I did this at Allure. I, I looked back on my early notes when, after I left and on, you know, that when I sat down at a computer and sort of wrote out what I thought this magazine should be. And I was like, wow, you know, it was really, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was for 25 years. So I was going through my um, notebooks this weekend and sort of clearing things out and cleaning out. And I found my notes from the first ideas for flesh. And it's exactly what it is today. Now that's hasn't been that long, but it's interesting how through the process, even like I'd written, I have pages of names and names and more names, and they all are names I used for products. And so it's funny how um, similar they are in many ways. Like you have to come up with a concept and then make sure that you articulate that concept and then make sure that everybody that you work with understands what that is and you have it as your checkpoint for everything you do going forward. So, um, and it's a creative endeavor. And I think I, I was lucky in that I was at a company that supplied and had the people, the support so that I was able to be creative and that they could do their jobs in marketing or, you know, you know, legal or whatever it happens to be. So it was a kind of great combination. Cool. That's a, I, I just love it. It's such a good story. Um, so, we're going to talk about beauty. Yeah, we want to pick your brain. You were at Allure Ooh. for 25 years. Brain and picker. we want all of your knowledge. Your skin is amazing. I keep staring at you like it's perfect. Well, I feel kind of flaky and I apologize for my forehead. But there you go. Well, Don't no, look. No. One thing, this is a non sequitur, but did you guys read the glass skin article? In No. No, but I just got a glass skin serum. There's this like viral... Uh, I think it started as tweets, but then there was like every digital outlet of a magazine has picked it up. And I think even the New York Times wrote about it. And it's this woman who has this like skincare routine for glass skin. And it's such BS, like the product she's using. It's like all like Cetaphil. And like she like washes her face with Neutrogena face wipes. And I'm like, this girl just has good skin. Like, yeah, the yeah. Stuff yeah she's she was u- born this way. Yeah. I'm like, the stuff she's using is like not giving her glass skin. Yeah. There's I, a, if you 
Google, if you search glass skin on YouTube, there's like hundreds of different right. tutorials. But I feel like there's so much like hype and claims around beauty where mm-hmm. like she's out there peddling that this is why she has glass skin. And I'm like, I'm, no, you just. And have sometimes, good you know, people just do have good skin or they don't right. have good skin. And it's really, it's not, uh, I mean, it's also even just the words. It's like, it's not a condemnation of you as a person. And it's also, you know, you can just, it could be your hormones or whatever it happens to be or your, your genes and you just, your skin is not that great. So it's, you know, I had a friend who, um, we were working in Martha's Vineyard one summer and someone said to her, she had this like incredible skin and, and, and she was a moped renter or whatever. And she was working at a moped rental place. And someone said, how do you get your, your skin to be like that? And she said, cigarettes and M&Ms. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. That's her secret. So we want to yeah. know about the things that are the real deal. So this person had very specific instructions, which so I like. Specific. She said, what is your one must have beauty product? And then in parentheses, she said, you can pick one skincare product and one makeup product. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, one of each. Thank you. Well, I mean, it's always so hard for me, and I just have to kind of qualify this because being a beauty editor for so many years, I change all the time. I try new products I all say the that time. To the people too, because there's new stuff coming out. You have to stay current, and you have to. And um, there are things I go back to, but there's just like there's a like. And I have my, so my favorites today, so I must have yeah. today, is Augustinus Bader. That's mine Rich too. Cream. It's I mine too. Oh so my God. Oh. I love it. Do you know that it's pronounced Dr. Botter though? I do. And I still say Bader. I was going to say Botter and then I thought that might sound pretentious. Yeah. Um, I was schooled recently. Yeah. It's the best cream I ever. love it. It's, oh my God. I'm like, can I just tell you how validated I am right now? Because <laughs> I will, I can could gush about this cream to so it. many people. It was my number one selling product on my blog last year because I rave and rave and rave about it. Linda Wells loves it too, you guys. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I'm I like love it. having such a moment about this. Oh, I love We did it not so plan much. this. So I didn't ask her this in advance. I mean, I know I've got two sort of empty ones at home and I'm ready to get one of those super long um, Q-tip things to get it's it hard to, to scrape it out because it's like... My it's pet peeve expensive. with it is you can't tell when you're about to run out. I know. Because it's an opaque bluish purple bottle and there's no like, I'm like, you need to put one of those clear strips and like so you can put right. on the side so you can see like where you're running. Because we might have to have an emergency backup. Yeah. 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 I do have a couple of little bottles for emergency backup, but I love that product yeah. so much. And then makeup, am I not allowed to say flesh? You can say flesh. I mean, I love the flesh. I'd be upset if foundations. you didn't yeah. say flesh. I love those so much. And I have one in my gym bag and I have them in every bag and I take them and I have them in the plane. Those are my favorites. My shade is birthday cake. And I was going to say, did you formulate something specifically for yourself? Because I would. If I was starting a skincare course, brand, I would be like, I'm my one shade of the is shades. Vanilla. <laughs> vanilla. Yeah. No. And I was like, I'm boring. <laughs> I'm vanilla. And I'm so happy yeah. mine is birthday cake because it's yeah. my favorite dessert. So um, I wanted to be birthday cake, but it wasn't right. Yeah. They yeah. took me a few. It's a little bit uh, pink undertone, which is what I have. But um, so, yeah. So I do love that. If I'm allowed to pick another one, um, makeup wise, hmm. That's not plush. I always go back to um, L'Oreal Voluminous Mascara. I, do I was going to ask you a mascara rack. I love yeah. it. I love that. It's, it's like, a good one. I go, I try all new things and then I always go back to that. I love it. I'm using the Shantikai mascara right now and I love it, but like I can't buy it again. It was like $50. Oh, no, wow. it's, $72. It's, it's $72. Don't pretend that it's cheaper than it oh, is. Shut up. Oh my God. $72. Yeah. yeah. I know that Sylvie Shantikai Sylvie. It's a Change really it. good one. Well, it has the um, peptide serum in it too, so it's like two. Oh, it's right. kind of like a two for one. Yeah, but I those think, are beautiful products, Shantikai. 
I generally am a drugstore mascara girl because it dries up so quickly and you have to and replace have to it after out. three months. So mm-hmm. spend $10. Yeah, I know, of them all, I yeah. really do think the L'Oreal Voluminous is the best. I mean, I know that CoverGirl, that orange one, I can't remember, Colossal, I think. Oh, is what Lash it's Blast. Oh, is that what it's called? Yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I love the, the yeah. Lash Blast. And I think that the L'Oreal Lash Paradise is really kind of great too. But um, is that what it's called again? I think so. Yeah. And I like, like it. It's pink. It's like it's like better than sex, but mass version. Yeah. I'm on a quest. My favorite mascara got discontinued like a year ago, and I still haven't been able to find something that I like as much as it. What was it? It was a Bobbi Brown one, and I don't remember what it was called, but it had the plastic Tell brush. her about the brush, yeah. It was like the plastic comb brush that really separated. Uh, oh, yeah. And it was like not so intense. Like it was a good day-to-day mascara. Like it wasn't your going out mascara. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It was like a good day-to-day one. I know exactly which one. And we once had someone come to tears in a Allure Best of Beauty meeting when we were gone in an argument about that mascara. Oh, I, I am on their side. <laughs> but it's discontinued. And I've tried the Glossier one. I've tried a bunch of other ones that are like good. Mm-hmm. But none of them are as good as that one interesting mm. we were one of our friends is a artist for bobby brown and i asked her about it like hoping there's like some stockpile <laughs> at the bobby brown office of like the discontinued products that i can get my hands on and apparently really there's not something expired perhaps <laughs> dollar store don't yeah. care <laughs> oh my god so okay so you like the butter cream can you yes. tell us about your whole skincare routine like what do you do day yeah. and night I, I'm not the glass skin. I mean, I'm more, kind of more like her even because I'm not, I'm obsessed with skincare, but I'm not one of those like wash your skin five different ways and, you know, as to yeah. have it take an hour. Um, so if I'm, I always remove my makeup though. Always, 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 always clean my face, but it could be a Neutrogena wipe. Um, and uh, I'll also use um, micellar uh, water and I love the Bioderma one. Me too. I live and die yeah, for that. This that is her one. favorite product ever. I always go, when I go to Paris, I always yep. buy it and stock up on it. And I'm sure they sell it here, but it's somehow I'm bringing it back. I'm convinced it's formulated differently in Europe than it is here. It's so good. And it's the one that was around in the 90s, in the 2000s, when, um, you know, nobody else had a micellar water and nobody knew how to pronounce micellar water. It was always backstage at the, all the makeup bars use it. And I love it. And then... Um, what else? I don't use a toner. I don't use an essence. I've never been able to like wrap my head around an essence. And I know I've got the one from Biologique Recherche and it's the smelly one. I just can't. I just can't get excited about it. I love that stuff. Do you? Yeah, I do. I'll give you the one I have. It's really expensive. <laughs> it's really expensive. Yeah. And it's one of the few things I actually buy because yeah. we get sent so many things. It's so, it's such yeah. a cult thing. And I once went to um, the the salon in um in Paris, Biologique Recherche Salon in Paris, and got a facial. Um, a friend of mine gave it to me. We both got facials together, and it was such a kind of bourgeois, you know, like there was this French woman there and wearing her, you know, perfect little scarf and everything in this um, perfect little coat. And she said, okay, you know, in French, I'll see you next week. And I thought, next week? Who is this woman? <laughs> yeah. What a I life. Love you. Every I know, week. Right? Yeah. I know, so I don't do that. Um and then I'm I'm really into like serums. Mm-hmm. I love a good serum, and I really like this Eraser Zep 
30, I think is what it's called. And it was done by a chemist who um, is really smart and great. And it's a kind of firming serum. And it kind of has this gluey texture, but I, I love it. And then um, I love the SkinCeuticals CE Ferulic. Love that one. I love a Dennis Gross C Plus Collagen um, Serum. And I kind of just rotate. I, I yeah. do think, though, that when, when you open a serum, you really kind of have to run through it. You can't kind of dip into it and come back in a few months because they do All the become actives. inactive. Yeah. So um, so sometimes I, I pay attention to that and sometimes I don't. And then, oh, and if I'm using a real cleanser, not a wipe, I like this thing that um, a woman I know who has a salon in Thailand, she lives in Bangkok, and she sent me this line called Pure Altitude and it's from Switzerland. I think it's Switzerland or Austria. It has like Edelweiss in it, which makes me think of like the sound of music mm-hmm. and yeah. um and so it's a it's a cleanser i really love it it's just i i i don't like a cleanser that's too foamy and um this is perfect and i really love the glossier milky jelly i just think it's kind of perfect and um so then on top of the i always wear sunscreen and um and then i have my and sometimes it's the shiseido beneficence or um i have Olay whips that i did some consulting for them on that product and it's a great product um and uh then augustus bader <laughs> excuse me i will now pronounce it the german way oh my gosh okay yeah. And what about like masks and treatments? Do you have any favorites? There? Um, I love the SK2 eye mask, of course. Love those. Love that. And then I really love the milk makeup, um, the stick masks. One is watermelon and then the other one is green. And it's like, oh, I've uh, never tried, tried those. Oh, they're so great. Huh. Okay. You just, yeah, they're really great. I like it. You know, you just rub it all over your face and then I, Recently became friends with the found one of the founders of Milk named Georgia Greville and she's amazing. And so she sent me over all this stuff. And um and then the watermelon one is pink and it's um brightening. It's not the kind of thing you would use on a plane because it's really like your face is green or your face is yeah. pink. But it's really, really terrific. And I just put it on and then go in the shower and then rinse it off. Oh, I'll have to put that I'm on not my radar, a facial yeah. person though. Yeah. I'm just not a facial person. That's okay. I'd yeah, rather get a massage okay? if I'm doing, if I'm like taking that time. Something that's going to like relax me and like help de-stress. Yeah. I Facials like can too. be stressful. I really hate extractions. I have so such sensitive skin. And mm. oftentimes I feel like my skin looks worse directly yeah. coming out of a facial. Oh. Have I you don't believe in extractions. I don't believe. Yeah. Christine Chin. Christine Chin. Yeah. I, have, I used to go to her. Oh. I don't I mean, believe in extractions. I don't really think that you need to go through that. And it's really. Think, yeah. I mean, it can't be good for you. I and look it's like a poreless angel after me and Christine, like three days later. Like, oh, you really? My boyfriend at the time came over and he was like, whoa. Like I Even was so noticed. red. I was like blotchy. Like oh. men don't. Oh, he noticed no, the no. bad part, not the Men don't part. ever notice anything. He was like, oh, you're you're very red. I was like, yeah, I had a, my face went through the ringer today. Um, I loved how I looked like three days later, but right. I think it's like a lot to put yeah, yourself Yeah, I think it's not really good to manipulate your skin that much. Yeah, yeah. But I've had one of those microneedling things, and um, there's this really great woman named Michelle Tobbs. Do you know her? Mm-hmm. Anyway, she's kind of based in LA, but she comes back here, and she's really wonderful, and she reads your aura, and she told me my aura was like Oprah's. So I was like, I love Ooh. you so much. I don't care what happens next. You could just, you know, leave the room, and I'll go to sleep, and, you know, I'll feel better. But um, she uses one of those microneedling things that is really, really, it was really great, painful as could be, though. 
Yeah, I've been intrigued by that. Yeah. It just seems like such a great way to like get more serum into and like more actives into your skin. And it stimulates the collagen because any kind of wound healing yeah. is like, you know, it's your collagen plump, kind of plump it up, goes into action. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually very, very curious about this. We have just yeah, a couple of more questions. Question. So you've been in the industry for a really long time. How do you decide between where to go drugstore and where to go prestige beauty? So this is how I decide. I think that anything that sits on your skin for a really long time, I would like to pay the most amount of money and get the best products that I can afford, whatever that is. So, um, you know, in the drugstore, if you can't afford the high, high end stuff, it, like go to Olay, they make amazing stuff. So, or um, Cetaphil. But I, I think a cleanser you can do drugstore and because it's not on your skin for that long. And I do think Cetaphil is amazing. I just don't like the packaging. So I don't have it in my shower because I don't think it's pretty. Yeah. Um, and then um, I, I think that like, I used to think brow pencil I would go to the drugstore, but now I really love Anastasia. So I, um, I just do yeah. that. And then, um, but I think that eye pencil is great for the drugstore and they make really great pencils. And Revlon has a fantastic, a whole series of great eye pencils. Um, mascara, definitely drugstore. I mean, I'll go back and forth, but I just think, you know, you, you, you use them, you should throw them away. You shouldn't feel bad about throwing, throwing them away. Don't eke out more time with those mascaras, just get rid of it. And so I believe in a drugstore mascara and I use drugstore, um, sunscreen mostly cause I, most of the time, but you know, I, I also love a, for my face, I love Shiseido or I mm -hmm. love, you know, something really luxurious. Elizabeth Arden has a great one, but, um, but if it's my body, I'm like, just give me Neutrogena, um, SPF 70, 80, and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. um, what else? I think mostly skincare and serums. Yeah. I just think that they're, they're, the active ingredients are at a higher percentage and they're in a more elegant um, vehicle at the higher price. Yeah. I think you really do get what you pay for in that sense. Not, th not to say that not every expensive product is good good sure. but i think that if you're really going to go for it i think that it requires a certain amount of money to get the great skincare and what about, yeah what about shampoo and conditioner um you know i right now i'm totally addicted to r and co and i'm mm -hmm. using the gemstone one and um my hairstylist is garen he cuts my hair and he was one of the people who is um part of that line works on that line and i just i think those are amazing shampoos but I do think Pantene makes incredible shampoos that are so effective and so scientific and so good for you and are kind of magic. I just don't like the packaging. Mm -hmm. And I really am a sucker. I want my shower to look pretty. I do too. Whenever I buy Orbe, I'm like, am I just paying for smell and packaging? And I, Maybe. I d honestly don't know. I don't know yeah. either. I think that there are, I actually do think they're really good products, but you, you do pay more for the beautiful packaging and it makes me very, very happy. And True. the smell is amazing. Oh, the smell is unbeatable. And I just yeah. think that that's one of the things that I've really learned being at a cosmetics company is that the way things look and smell is as much a part of the experience of using them as the way they perform. Mm -hmm. So it has to all go together. And if you're missing out on some of that, you're not delivering what you know, you're just good design should be in everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to wrap up, we have we have three quick fire questions that we yeah. always ask everyone. First one, what is something you're obsessed with right now? It could be a product, it can be a person, it can be 
literally um, anything. I'm really obsessed with this app called Autumn, A-U-D-M. I've never heard of this. I know. I thought it was, when I heard it for the first time, I thought it was spelled like the season. And it is an app where they have, um, it's audio of magazine articles. So, oh, oh so it's like a podcast. It's not a of. podcast. It's not an interview. It's yeah. a, it's like an audio book, but it's for magazines. So they have the New Yorker and New York Magazine and the Atlantic and all these incredible magazines that I always want to finish, but never do. And, you know, in terms of the, like the New Yorker, it's stacks and stacks. And eventually I just out of guilt, just like, I got to throw them all away. I got to get rid of them all. I can't even look at it. But now I listen to them and, um, and they read read the articles aloud, and it's so satisfying. And you can do it when you're cleaning up, when you're traveling from A mm-hmm. to B, when you're on the subway. And one of the things that I do now is I put it on a timer, and so I put it on next to my bed with the screen facing down. Put it on for sometimes ten minutes or fifteen minutes, depending on how tired I am. And I am inevitably asleep before the um, the story ends. And it's but it's like having someone read you a story before you go to bed it really is yeah. and then if i wake up in the middle of the night and when i if i wake up at three in the morning usually i will go to some place like i'll spiral into something terrible and um and so i put that on and it just keeps those terrible thoughts from entering my brain oh, so it's really yeah. i'm obsessed I'm, with it i'm gonna download that that sounds it's great so good do they have the new york times like the, the no. newspaper no I would like someone to read me the New York Times. They have the New York Times magazine, okay. but they do not have the New York Times. I know I would like that too. And I think it would be a really, I think that, that someone should do it. Maybe you're just in select articles, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot, but yeah, it'd be a lot um, but it, it is like, I do listen to the daily podcast, which I absolutely love the New York Times um, daily. And I just think it gives you such a better understanding of an, an issue. So I'm addicted to that too. Yeah. yeah. What about on Instagram? What's an account that you're loving right now? I really love um, Ruba. I don't know whether you know Ruba, R-U-B-A, but Mm-mm. she's Ruba Abunima. Okay. She's the, was, she's, I mean, I've met her a long time. She worked at Bobby Brown. She worked at Shiseido. I met her, I think I met her, must have met her at Bobby, but she was then at Shiseido and I did some stuff for Shiseido in Japan. So I was, I met her and spent time with her there. And, um, and then I became addicted to her Instagram and I, kind of based on that, hired her to be the creative director of Flesh. Oh, so oh how cool. You found her on Instagram. I found her on I mean, I knew her otherwise, but then when I, but the Instagram just, just really killed yeah. me. I loved it so much. So, um, and she has great stories. It's not, it, they're really almost never any captions. Um, so it's just visual. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does these juxtapositions. She, she takes two images and the juxtapositions are brilliant. Yeah. And, and I'm looking so, at this one with Glossier Body Hero and a, a mouth. Um, you will look through and you'll yeah. see the ones that were, were predated Flesh's launch and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, so I love her Instagram. And cool. um, I just saw she did a story like yesterday and thanks to her, I bought a raincoat that is too expensive. but. <laughs> That's it's raining it's a, a lot. Yeah. That's how you know <laughs> influence yeah. is working. Right? Yeah. So I love that a lot. Um, so what are you reading right now? I am reading something. I don't usually do this, but I'm reading two books at one time, which I, I it's not my thing because I like to get fully absorbed into one, but they're so different. So 
um, one of them is called Maybe We Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And it's um, by a therapist. And it's about um, therapy, but it's about four of her patients, I think she talks to. And then she also goes into therapy herself, because she has a break up with a boyfriend that's very um, unexpected and earth shattering. And so it's incredibly honest and um, very revealing. And I love hearing about people's therapy and like anything psychological is really great. Cool. And I heard her on the New York Times book review podcast and she was interviewed and she was so funny and so interesting and so honest that I was like, I have to read this. So I'm reading that. And then I'm also reading Middlemarch by George Eliot. What made you read that? Yeah. Um, thanks a lot, Brooke Nydick. Um, my friend Brooke Nydick, um, she does the Sydney Garber jewelry. That's her jewelry. So, and she uh, was reading it and she said, you have to read it. And she was the second person who told me that in, in like the last six months. So I thought, you know, that's a gap in my knowledge. I was an English major, but I didn't read middle of March. And so I'm reading it and I'm reading it. Some of it, um, on my phone and some I'm some of it I'm doing audio and then I've got the book and so I was looking at the book this morning and I thought I really made some progress on this book I'm on page 56 I think oh <laughs> oh like, man oh my god yeah. it's really tiny type that's really but I thought I'd like I'd spent all this time reading it this weekend and no yeah not very far along yeah. so I'll be reading if you see me in two years I'll still be reading middle March you have like your interesting book and your take your medicine book right, yeah right. yeah I do maybe that. which one is the medicine book though maybe it's gonna be a switch who knows yeah so let us know in two years when you finish middle March <laughs> yeah so before you go Linda and Thank you so much for for coming here. But can you tell us where people can you find you? You get your own desperation minute. Yeah, where can people find you on the oh, internet? Where can they what follow you? What do you want them to do? Tell us everything. Um, I would love, okay, I'm on Instagram on at Linda Wells NY and then um, at Flesh Beauty. And it's not Flesh because I think that's owned by somebody who's like, a zombie and um and so and uh, flesh is sold at ulta so i'd love for anybody to go to ulta or to go on ulta.com and um buy it and if they like it write a nice review that's always a happy reviews thing reviews are great mm-hmm. yeah we're and always the, heckling people to review our podcast i love reviews yeah and i go back and read them all the time and um and the negative ones are really helpful too i mean i think that you learn a lot from the negative as well as the positive. But anyway, that's my that's my pitch. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was like such an incredible honor to have you here in my apartment. I know. Yeah. Thank you so much. I actually looked at your products and it, they're really good. In oh, the good. oh, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> they're and all I didn't, out. I didn't, I didn't snoop. Yeah. I didn't put flesh out there just because of you. I legit like love the foundation, the highlighters, all of them. There's like a, yeah. a sparkly light shining on the flesh product in there your bathroom. Now. I'm like, wow, thanks. When I went and peed, I saw that and I was like, oh God, I hope she doesn't think I like merchandise this just for her. <laughs> product placement. Yeah. I love it. Listen, I'm not against it. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I love you guys. Aww. That was so fun. It was so fun. Thank you. All right. All right. Oh, my God, Becca. Like, how surreal was it having Linda here? She was amazing. I also just think she had so much wisdom to share about her whole career. And I don't know. I'm just like, I wasn't as familiar with her as you were. And I am, like, in awe. It was so cool. And before you got here... 
I mean, she was probably just doing her research, but she was like, oh, yeah, and then that episode you had with so-and-so, and I just love that you guys read so much, and you're encouraging your readers to read. Like, it's so important that people do that. And, then, like, she had – she referenced a few different episodes. Like, she actually listens to us. Oh, my God. I – I it, almost passed out when she ref- – I forget who she even brought up. She brought up Girls Gotta Eat and somebody else. It's so silly because we record the podcast, just the two of us, in Grace's apartment. It's a random Monday afternoon right now. Like, I'm wearing sweatpants. Or I think you are, too. Yeah, I'm in my workout clothes. That I'm not going to work out because it's too cold and rainy to go outside. Same. And so, like, when, like, Linda Wells is like, oh, I was listening to this. It's like, what? Yeah, it was – I mean – she was just such a like shaping force in my life. Like she founded Allure, founded it, like started it. It was her her child, and now she, you know I met her once, like years and years ago, at the Best of Beauty Awards, and she was of course very lovely and gracious. But the fact that she knew us and what we're doing, like that was really cool. Grace, do you have anything that you're obsessed with? Other than Linda Wells? You know my obsession is always our guests um, and and body washes. But also, I have this green beaded bag from Amazon. Did you see it yet? Oh, yeah. I saw it. Becca hates it. It's um, it's like it's kind of like those Susan Alexandria bags that are um, like made of all beads woven together. But it's by a brand called Muco. So the brand is M-I-U-C-O. Or you can just go to my blog and look at the latest Amazon favorites. But um, this brand makes like all these like because a lot of the more designer ones are like anywhere from 200 to 700 dollars for plastic beaded bags so this one is 50 bucks it's emerald green which is my favorite color and i love it i'm not so sold no becca has a more classic aesthetic i would say no yeah can't win them all so my obsession is these tree torn sneakers so I have been on a sneaker quest because I feel like sneakers are trendy, but they're also comfortable. And I think I've bought every pair of sneakers on the internet. Like I've bought the Adidas Stan Smith ones. I have bought the uh, Cezanne ones. I have bought Superga's. Like I have bought every sneaker. And I just feel like none of them are either both comfortable or look good on me. So Jess Keys, who's one of our guests for a Chicago live show, is obsessed with these. And I bought them. And first of all, the price is right because they're, I think they were $69. I got them on Bloomingdale's, but they have them on pretty much every department store. Um, They were sold out on Nordstrom in my size. And um, they're just like plain white sneakers, but they are orthopedic. Interesting. They are so comfortable. I'm so, curious. So I think we have different shaped feet because you didn't love Sarah Flint. Mm-mm. But these are like okay. so cushioned. Okay. It is so comfortable. So I'm still not 100% sold. And it's not because of the sneaker. It's more because of me. Like I just think I'm like, oh, this is too casual. I don't like the look of this. But I'm like, I'm keeping these because they were $69, which I think is pretty decent and is cheaper than a lot of the other sneakers I've tried. And Are they true to size? Okay. And they're so comfortable. Okay. I'm not really a sneakers girl unless they're slip-ons, but I think they're cute. Oh, they're so comfortable. I was um, thinking about getting them in black, too. Okay. So I'm, like, very into them. I wore them with a dress the other week, and I don't know – I don't know. It's not my usual style, but I was like, look, I live in Brooklyn now. Look at me. I'm wearing sneakers with dresses. Hmm. Cool. What about on Instagram? Mine is, um, speaking of sneakers and dresses, it's 90s anxiety. 
it's What's that? an Instagram account that's all about the 90s and it's wonderful. Just like I love their aesthetic. It's 90 is is the number. So 90s anxiety. Love. Okay. How about you? Um so the only thing on my mind is shoes and rugs. Like that's <laughs> all I think about right now. Um so one thing I'm realizing is that first of all my walk to the subway is a little longer now that I live in Brooklyn. And then also, I'm, I think I'm just walking more. So I'm very concerned about needing comfortable shoe choices. So Grace mentioned, I tried the Sarah Flint shoes that she really loves, and I didn't like them. I, I thought they were cute. I just thought they were uncomfortable. Yeah. So Grace told me to buy this, these other shoes that are still in the mail. So I can't vouch for them one way or the other. But it's by this brand called Margot. And I think they're a little less cute, but they're even more comfortable. They're like ortho. I, I call these my orthopedic shoes. Great. So uh, it's spelled M-A-R-G-A-U-X-N-Y is the Instagram handle. And I followed it because I Grace told me about it and I just wanted to remember it before I bought them. Yeah. And I am now getting, because you know when you follow something new and it comes up in your feed first? I keep yeah. getting their photos and I'm like, oh my God, I want all of them. Yeah. Their shoes are so beautiful. And they're, I want the, the new sandals. Oh, those are cute. I was at a blogger brunch on Friday and Carly Heitlinger from the college prepster or Carly the prepster had them on and they were so cute. And she's a big, big Margot fan. Mm, I'm really excited for them to come. I think you're going to love them. If they're as comfortable as you say, I got... Uh, they're, they're literally orthopedic. There's, I got a small block heel. Like it's probably like a two-inch block yeah, heel. That's the only heel they do. Um, if if I can like walk around and walk to the subway and like oh, yeah. do things on them, that would be game-changing. Yeah. What about reading? So I am obsessed with the book that I'm reading right now. I'm reading That's What Frenemies Are For with Sophie Littlefield and Lauren Gershell. And Lauren actually listens to our podcast. So that's how we got the book. Yes. Hi, Lauren, if you're listening. Um, we got an advanced copy, so it's not on sale until July 30th. But um, it's so fun, especially like, so I'm only about halfway through it, but it's about this woman and she's like so, such a little social climber. Like I wouldn't say she's a climber because she's already at the top, but like social currency is absolutely everything to her. And she's a little bit manipulative, but you get the sense that she's about to like experience like a massive fall from grace and like kind of need to like grovel and like come back down to earth. And I don't know what's going to happen yet, but I'm enjoying it. If you love all those Joe Piazza books, like, um, not sure Walsh likes to win. That was more serious, like, like Fitness Junkie or that wasn't Joe Piazza. Charlotte Walsh likes to win. Yes, it was. No, but Fitness Junkie wasn't. Yes, it was. No, it, it was Lucy Sykes and Joe Piazza. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. What am I thinking of? So like Fitness Junkie and the knockoff. Um, this is very similar to that. It there's like a whole fitness element because she's like getting in good at the spin studio and takes this um spin teacher under her wing um so it's it's great it's it's really good i i'm enjoying it a lot so far but the character is very unlikable i will say so if you're reading this and you're like gosh like grace really recommended this know that i I am enjoying it but i do not like the lead character but i think you're not supposed to like her Hmm. yeah i'm excited to read it it's it's the next thing in my queue yeah, I was going to read, I was still reading the overstory, but I just was in the mood for something like fun. Yeah. With all the, this weather, like I just want to read fun, like lighthearted books. Yeah. Um. So I read a book this weekend that really kind of 
took me by surprise. I can't wait to read this. So I read this book called American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. And I hadn't seen or heard anyone else reading this book, but I um, saw it on a BuzzFeed list, actually, and the description caught my eye. So I ordered it. It's been sitting in my be red pile. And I don't know what made me pick it up, but on Sunday or on Friday night, maybe I was like, I was reading Park Avenue Summer and I was like, oh, I want something like a little more fast paced. Yeah. So I picked up this book and it was really wonderful. And I thought it was just going to be a spy novel, um, which I can be pretty into. But it also has kind of this like second parallel story. It's about a woman who's black who was in the FBI in the 80s. And it takes place after she's uh, left the FBI and she has two children. And it opens with somebody breaks into her house and tries to kill her and she kills him. And it kind of then goes back to the story of why somebody is coming after her. I can't wait to read this. It sounds amazing. Um, And it also has a lot to do with racial relations in America. And it kind of goes back through her family history, through her mom and her dad and her grandfather. And then it also has, um, I don't want to give anything away, but it also has the secondary plot line um, about colonialism in West Africa. So it was much smarter than I expected, but it was so, so good. I really liked it. Cool. It's one of the best things I've read recently. Well, now that you're just upstairs, I can't wait to borrow it from you. Yeah. It's yours. Yeah. So that's what we got for you today. If you need another book to read, come back because next week is book club and we're talking about Normal People by Sally Rooney. Yes. Also, please come see one of our live shows if you live in Chicago, D.C., Boston, Charleston, or Nashville. Yeah. We have them really fun. All on our website, badonpaperpodcast.com backslash live. Yes. And in the meantime, if you would like to continue the conversation, we are on Instagram at badonpaperpodcast. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. And I blog every day at thestripe.com. Bye, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.